Hello, welcome to Helen Talks Who. I'm Helen and today I'm talking about dinosaurs on a spaceship. Really good episode this, really um, a nice light tone um, but it's got some really good concepts in it. So the first thing I want to talk about is the use of historical figures because it's not a typical use. Um, obviously like we're, we're on a spaceship this is not a historical episode and even with the dinosaurs being there it's still it's still not exactly historical because um the reason the dinosaurs are there are because it's linked to the silurian which is always i mean technically the silurians are sort of uh historical um you know sort of make it a historical episode um in in normal episodes when we have Silurian ones but um no it's more on the sci-fi side really um but instead we have the historical figures here being treated a little bit more like Amy and Rory or companions in general where the doctor picks them up to help out well I mean we have two we we have two because we have um Nefertiti, who comes into the episode having just, um, having just been in a historical celebrity episode that we didn't see essentially, because the doctor's clearly, you know, landed in Egypt, done some stuff, and she's, she's helped out. Um, and Nefertiti is entirely a companion of the doctor here because, um, she does just inside invite her her way a lot herself along which I love um not sure she needed to be flirting with the doctor in the opening scene wasn't so keen on that bit um but at least the doctor wasn't flirting back um that that's something at least uh but um yes could have done without the flirting uh but yes so Nefertiti is a full-on companion who you know, boards the TARDIS and goes with the Doctor. But then Riddell is an interesting one because the Doctor sees what he's dealing with and goes, I know the skills I need here. Uh, one of the skills being Riddell's um, game hunter stuff. I would love to know the story of where the Doctor first met him because... They're, they're not a very likely partnership, are they? Um, although you do get the sense that Riddell has a sort of heart of gold at buried deep down below his Victorian values, but still. Um, so, yeah, we've got the Doctor putting a kind of task force together to help out with the spaceship, and it's just a really interesting way of kicking off a story. Um, yeah, I like it. Um, Riddell's also an interesting one because he's, he's not a historical figure. Um, I did Google that to double check. Um, but yeah, he doesn't seem to be an actual historical figure. He's, he's rather, he's an archetype. Um, I suppose, um, I don't know why this is the first example that comes to mind, but, um, thinking back to The Unquiet Dead, where we had Sneed, the Victorian Undertaker, and Gwyneth, the Victorian Maid. You know, we had 
uh, those kind of, yeah, archetypal characters. Um, but the thing I love about Riddell here is him not being a historical figure then becomes part of the joke when uh, Amy's talking with him and Nefertiti and uh, she recognises Nefertiti but doesn't recognise Riddell and he's, you know, a bit offended by that. So him, yeah, not being a historical figure turns into the joke. Um, and I do like that. It's uh, It's a good one. Um, and yeah, it's nice to have people other than, other than the ponds there. Um, let's talk about some plot stuff. So, it being a Silurian ship, um, which I just mentioned, that is a really great idea because it really deepens the world building, um, I mean, the Silurians, we already know their sympathetic characters, particularly given that the last uh, Silurian that we met was Vastra, of course. And before that, in, in, in the Hungry Earth, we, you know, we, we had Silurians and humans trying to find common ground. Um, yeah, so, so we already know they're kind of sympathetic characters, and it just... I already find the story of the Silurians and why they went into hiding really compelling. Like this whole idea that they detected a threat to the earth and were like, right, we need to, we need to go into hiding for a few years. But it, the threat never came because it was just the moon coming into alignment with the earth, and therefore, you know, that that everything safe alarm didn't didn't set off, and and therefore they lost the planet because mammals evolved. Um, although I suppose if they're contemporary with the dinosaurs, then them uh, going into hiding did also mean that they avoided uh, avoided the, you know, mass extinction out event at the end of the dinosaurs. But, um, ooh, I don't... I don't know what the timescales are on when when the moon came into alignment versus when the dinosaurs went extinct, actually. Because um, I'm thinking, like, if... So if they... Moon came into alignment, if they had actually woken up after that, they would have had, you know, X amount of time before the mass extinction event. And would they have been able to detect that? Probably. Like, the pretty advanced I mean very advanced given that they've had a spaceship um so yeah you get this really uh deep idea of, of the world building um it also um the fact that here we learn that not only did the Silurians go underground but they also sent out these arcs it shows how similar the Silurians are to humans because we have had a lot of human arcs as Doctor Who stories, um, most recently in The Beast Below, um, but yeah, many, many others, um, The Ark in Space, um, in fact, the, the Ark in Space was first Doctor, wasn't it? Um, that one, the clever use of the Ark, that one, the clever use of time travel, because isn't that the one where they, 
they go at like the end of episode two or something and then they come back and it's a hundred years later and they brought the common cold and 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 everything's changed like that's a really clever use of time travel um i don't think i've seen the episode but i think i think i've read the target novelization of that one uh anyway sidetrack so yes love the whole idea of this episode and then as the villain we have solomon firstly um david bradley has got to be a contender for actor who played the most contrasting doctor who characters because he goes from playing solomon to playing the first doctor a few years later um yeah that that's quite a contract could um i mean because you often have actors that play, you know, several different types of monsters. And I suppose you have um the actor that plays Vastra also played um Alea and Restak in Hungry Earth. And that's a bit of a contrast. But um, that one's slightly different because it's like they're the reason that they're played by the same actress. Whereas um, Solomon and the First Doctor, like, there's no reason they're played played by the same actor. However... Um, I was watching Sarah Jane Adventures today um, because because it's back on iPlayer and I wanted to watch it. Um, and I watched the episode that had the Pied Piper and the sort of evil clown in. And I'd forgotten that that's played by Bradley Walsh. Um, so he must be a close second in going from evil clown to uh, to Graham. Um, yeah, that's the... Uh, yeah, quite a contrast. Um, so thinking about Solomon in the actual story, he's he's a great villain. Um, he's he's a great villain because he's like. There's no morally grey area with Solomon, I don't think. Um, or if there was ever a mor mor morally grey area, he passed it like way before the episode started. Um, which is interesting because one of the criticisms that I've seen of this episode is um, saying that the Doctor is harsh in how he deals with Solomon at the end of the episode by uh, by condemning him, by um, locking him in his ship and um, putting the tracking device for the missiles on there. Like, he very much... he the Doctor does not leave Solomon with a way out at all. So I was thinking about that when I was re-watching and sort of keeping that criticism in mind. Um, and yeah, I really disagree with that criticism. Like, yes, the Doctor doesn't give Solomon a way out at the end of the episode, but Solomon is too far gone. Um like what he did to the Silurians is absolutely vile and I have no sympathy for that but also like the doctor does give Solomon a warning he just does it kind of earlier in the episode he fixes up Solomon's leg and he warns him them that uh that that they're going to be fired on that they're in danger Solomon doesn't believe him at first but then when Solomon's own scanners pick up the missiles and he realises the Doctor is telling the truth, 
His first instinct is not to get the hell out of Dodge. His first instinct is to confront the Doctor and kidnap Nefertiti so that he'll still make a profit. He's too far gone. Like, the Doctor... A, the Doctor did give him a chance early on, and B, like, I think the Doctor recognises a lost cause when he sees one. Um, And I... I, I think the Doctor was reasonable there. Um, okay, so plot stuff. Okay, the other... Um, the other kind of big part of this episode is the Doctor's dynamic with Amy and Rory. Uh, this episode provides a lot of fodder for imagining how Amy and Rory incorporate the Doctor's into their lives which I love and I think it would be interesting to um to look at a full sort of timeline of Amy and the Doctor's journey with the Doctor Amy and the Doctor (sighs) (laughs) to look at a full timeline of uh, Amy and Rory's journey with the Doctor because there's a few um there's a, I, I don't know quite where everything fits in and there's and there's kind of there's quite a few like long gaps and stuff I'm sure I've even read one theory that has so in later this series in episode four at the end of power of three at that point when the doctor takes Amy and Rory away that is when some of the earlier adventures happen um or possibly the uh, still in power of three the bit where he uh takes them uh away from their anniversary party um that's where like town of mercy happens i'm not sure how convinced i am with that theory i think amy and rory are pretty much we see stuff kind of in chronological order from their point of view um but yeah yeah it this episode is a good one for seeing like how the doctor sometimes picks them up um and linked into that we have amy and rory's reaction to the doctor uh, picking them up while they're in the middle of changing a light bulb you have this contrast between amy just being really happy and going with it which tracks for for what we know of amy um versus rory being slightly more stressed and kind of you know why can't you phone ahead um you know we were busy which um makes a lot of sense because back in amy and rory's first series together we had this whole um dichotomy between what the doctor represented in this kind of traveling life versus rory representing this slightly more stable life on earth and that's kind of bringing that thread back which i think is important thinking ahead to sort of how their journey ends and it's consistent with amy and rory's overall arc which you know was my major complaint from last episode um so yeah I like that um I mean obviously like Rory's more stressed 
partly because the whole we would we were busy doing something but also partly because it's like it's his dad that's been picked up which is you know obviously going to be slightly more stressful than if they were just changing a bulb and and they didn't have anyone helping which leads me on to talking about brian um because brian again deepens the world building and gives us this real view into amy and rory's life which i love um and he also gives this episode a lighter tone because given how vile solomon is um i think it it is important that it's balanced with the lighter tone from having Brian there and I suppose Nefertiti and, and, and Riddell also contribute to that as well. Um but yes. Few um so my favourite moments that have uh, that have Brian in them. Firstly, um when they're all running from the pterodactyls on the beach, there's this tiny moment where Brian hits the pterodactyl with his trowel. Um I love that moment. It's it's very realistic it's uh, if you had a trout trowel and you had a pterodactyl right there i think you would just uh whack him on the nose with it um i also every time i watch this i adore the a monkey could fly the ship oh look they're going to joke i just i find that so funny i think I find it really funny because it's like it's the doctor making a joke that doesn't fit with his companion's frame of reference and again this ties into the whole world building thing where it's like yeah not every joke that the doctor's going to make is going to be one that his companions get he's got like far too wide a reference um yeah far too wide a reference for that so here he's making a joke that yeah it a, sal- a salarian would get and um and i suppose that gives the added bonus to the audience if the audience gets it of oh yes we've got the same frame of reference as the doctor you know that sort of kind of being slightly more in on the joke thing um but yeah i think that line's really funny um and of course that uh that scene with um Brian and Rory flying the spaceship that that is the reason that that Brian's there from a from a plot point of view is so that so that they can actually get out of things um yeah the other thing is you've got um so throughout the episode you've got the doctor trying to reassure Amy and Rory that he's not um he's not replacing them or certainly trying to reassure Amy actually I don't think Rory's in that conversation um and the doctor reassures Amy by saying you know they're just people they're not pawns which I don't know what I feel about that line I like the I like it from a like poetic point of view um but also i'm like the doctor has a much longer lifespan and you already know that he had his own adventures and i suppose amy and rory have their own adventures on earth when he's not there um 
so it's like I'm not sure that like jealousy from Amy is justified um even though I know it's rooted in this sort of like deep insecurity of what if the doctor flies away and doesn't come back which Amy has partly from being a kid but also from the whole the doctor dying thing um you know the doctor the doctor has fairly recently in terms of the episodes we've seen let Amy and Rory think he was dead for a few years like Amy's gonna have abandonment issues fair enough um so we have that exchange and inside that exchange we also or related to that exchange even um we also have at one point Brian insisting that he's not a pond and the doctor going of course you are um which on the surface links back to Amy and Rory's wedding with the whole Mr and Mrs Williams no Mr and Mrs Pond thing um but it also I get the impression that like the doctor has already heard about Brian because we've seen scenes where Amy and Rory and the doctor are hanging out in the TARDIS and chilling out and I reckon that they told him stories particularly because um early on in the episode the doctor knows the name of Rory's dad without being told because Rory just said oh that's my dad and then two minutes later the doctor's calling him Brian and and he isn't actually told so yeah I think he kind of already knows Brian through the stories which is just a lovely little detail of like again showing how the doctor fits into Amy and Rory's life which I think is a big it's a big theme of this series particularly with what we'll see in two episode time um and talking of where of how the doctor fits into Amy and Rory's life we um we learn in this episode that for Amy and Rory it has now been 10 months since they last saw the doctor um and we get this this first hint of him trying to let Amy and Rory go which Amy explicitly brings up as well with the whole I think you're weaning us off you thing um which is valid um and it's really good to have that theme in in there because I think at this point like if if we forget for a second that we know where this is going what we've seen of Amy and Rory so far it it's very unconventional um you know it's not this is not how a companion journey normally goes and and so it's good that it's kind of dropping hints of like how Amy and Rory and the Doctor all feel about their relationship and I suppose sort of starting to lay the groundwork for what is going to happen um and that conversation between the Doctor and Amy also brings up the Doctor's fear uh, which is the whole Amy saying you'll be no the doctor saying you'll be there until the end of me and Amy joking as all vice versa like this idea that 
the doctor is scared that he'll see Amy and Rory die. And that's that's not a new idea because that's the reason that he gave them for leaving them behind in the God complex. Um, but obviously the doctor's probably aware of the fact that he said that was why he was leaving him behind leaving them behind, but um he's not been able to stick to that. He's uh you know, he's gone back for more. Um and I think that's interesting. Now in my diary at the time I had a few thoughts about Amy and Rory from this episode, sort of linked to that. Um, So, firstly, I thought that them dying, Amy and Rory dying, was reasonably likely. Again, sort of like, because we've had this very non-standard, non-standard journey with the Doctor... So I thought maybe they would die of old age, though, rather than dying directly of the Doctor, which I kind of figured would be quite appropriate, considering that Amy's known him since she was a kid, which, you know, I wasn't wrong, which goes to show that, like, it is successfully laying the groundwork for what is going to happen. Um, the other interesting thing is that at one point Rory says that he's 31. Now, he says that to to Brian, to his dad, which means he must be just talking about calendar years. He's not including time spent with the doctor travelling because if, you know, if if he said his, uh, his full age, then... Uh, then surely Brian would pick up on that. Um, so he's 31. Now, we know that Amy was 21 when she fully flew off with the Doctor. She was 21 when her and Rory got married. From what we see in the Ledworth flashbacks in Let's Kill Hitler... I think it's reasonable to assume that Rory's the same age. Um, Although I don't quite know how that fits into... uh, So at the start of 11th hour, Amy is 19 and Rory is solidly in his nursing training. Um, Although you actually study nursing at university. It's not like you study... You don't study a subject and then do nursing training. So... Um. yeah, Rory being a student nurse at 19, or, or maybe 20, maybe he's like the year above Amy. Um, I think that would be a reasonable assumption. The point is, if Rory's 31, that means it's been nearly 10 calendar years, which, which actually uh, sets, sets this in, in like 2019 or 2020. Um which will be interesting con- to consider with uh, the power of three. Um, so, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, now, yeah, I, I am very much assuming this whole thing of Rory saying he's 31 to his dad, so that must be a number that makes sense to to his dad. You know, they must be keeping track of how old they are on Earth outside of how old they are from travelling with the Doctor. Um, so 31 must be the 
the calendar year. Um, but yeah, just thinking ahead, like, I think if it in Power of Three that Amy said that they think it's been 10 years, but then she follows that up with, oh, not for Earth. So maybe Rory's keeping track of how old he actually is and maybe Brian just didn't say anything because it wasn't the moment and then they got attacked by the pterodactyls. Um, but yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's... I do like that Amy and Rory have this, like, unconventional journey with the Doctor. Um, even with the various sort of missing gaps that I've uh, kind of talked about with uh, last episode and, 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 and with some of the uh, post-Demons Run stuff. Um, that is everything I wanted to talk about. Thank you very much for listening. The email address for this podcast is helentalkswho at gmail.com if anyone has any commentary. I would love to hear from you. Next time, I will be watching A Town Called Mercy. I haven't watched this one very much, so we shall see. (laughs) See ya.